He came to restore all things. He came to bring life to a place of death. He came to bring that resurrection life to us. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Rich Rodowski. And I'm Emily Wilson. Today we are celebrating Easter, and if you're receiving this podcast on Good Friday, you may wish to already get it started since every day is an Easter for the uh, Christian, or you might want to save it for Holy Saturday or Easter Sunday, but we are gathering some stories from our folks in the field and talking about Easter around the world. Emily, tell us a little bit about what we got So we do have some stories from the U.S., but also some stories from our African context. And so really looking forward to sharing a little bit of perspective, but also you might be a little familiar with some stories and have flashbacks yourselves. Yeah. Do you have any Easter memories that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, you know... (laughs) Easter was a special time. It's my sister's favorite holiday. Mm -hmm. Our sanctuary always would have the hyacinth and the Easter lilies, but the senior youth group at our church growing up would have a pancake breakfast. So sunrise service was at 6 a.m., and after the sunrise service, everyone would be hungry at the smell of pancakes wafting from the Heritage Hall and... We would have been hard at work making those pancakes and being manned at the stations to humbly serve, but it was a lot of fun. You know, if I'm being honest, it was mostly for us. Yeah, Yeah, one of my best Easter memories was the first Easter when I was a new pastor, and we were just really trying to up our audio-visual game at the church, and so I was there late on Saturday night after Mm. the family had gone to bed. We lived right by the church, so it was easy for me to sneak over there. And I went up in the balcony to do some work on the audiovisual stuff that we'd be using on Easter morning. And the sanctuary was all set up for Easter. Mm. All the flowers and the, you know, the decoration changed. Everything restored to the altar, the white paraments and the smell of all the, the <laughs> sweet smell of all the flowers. And it just this feeling of joy, like Christ is risen. He is and risen just, indeed. Just the quiet before the bursting of celebration. It was, it was yeah. really awesome. It is true, going from all Lent, you know, very simple sorts of uh, decorations and a lot of, you know, a remembrance of this is the weight of our sin that Jesus carried to the cross. But the joy that, you know, we can experience, like you said, every day as resurrection people at the joy of the empty tomb that Christ is risen indeed. All right, we do want to warn our listeners that uh, coming up will be a story about the Easter Bunny and a discovery that someone made about the Easter Bunny. And if you have little kids listening with you and you're not ready for them to make that discovery about the Easter Bunny, we just want you to be advised that that is coming up. So one of our colleagues, Katie, had an especially skilled uh, seamstress mom, and her outfit that she created for her daughter um, was certainly uh, (laughs) eye-catching. And so we want to share that story of Katie growing up. So as a kid, my family attended a very traditional Baptist church. 
I'm sure you know the kind that I'm talking about. You walk in each week and you have your specific pew that you sit in, no matter what. Yep, it was that kind of church. Well, my family was not back row Baptists. In fact, our pew was the third from the front, easy for my mom to watch as kids from the choir loft or the piano. Man, watch us, she did. Every year, my mom would make me a new Easter dress. I don't remember ever shopping for a new dress. My mom always made it. And in typical Southern Baptist fashion, she would make me a bonnet to go with it. I was always so excited to be able to sit in the back row on that one day each year, only because my bonnets were too large and my mom was afraid people couldn't see around me. That's adorable. (laughs) Yes, Easter bonnets, great tradition. Uh, Probably loved by many and maybe not loved by many too. I don't know. I'd never, as a boy, had to wear the... The bonnet. Uh, uh, I think my parents tried the hats for the boys one yeah. year, and that was a one-year thing, and they were like, you know what, this is just not yeah, working. Pitch it. <laughs> the struggle. All right. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> uh, those are precious memories. Like, we were talking about the, you know, sanctuary being beautiful and joyous, but also, like, fashion, you know, shifts from, like, dark colors, and then, like, Easter comes, right. and it's all these bright colors and flowers and the prints and everything. It's just... Everything is pointing to new life. So our next story is from our uh, IT coordinator, Sarah Stillwell, who I'm just going to throw out there was too embarrassed to get on here and read it herself. So we pinch hit for her with our great uh, colleague, Alyssa, reading Sarah's story about a discovery she made one Easter. I grew up in a traditional Catholic family where every Sunday you put on your Sunday best. Every Sunday, you always put on your pantyhose along with your dress, no matter how old you were or how cold it was. I always slightly dreaded it, except for Easter. Around every Easter, we would have a family outing of shopping for Easter outfits. The women in our family would receive a bright, new, colorful Easter dress, and my brother and dad would get a new suit. When I was about six years old, after the Easter service, my family and I attended the church's Easter egg hunt. I remember this day like it was yesterday. I was so excited to see the Easter Bunny as I was every year. Well, this particular Easter Bunny just didn't seem right. My dad was not with us at the Easter egg hunt, or so I thought. I kept asking my mom, where is dad? She brushed the question off and said he was running late, which I also also thought was odd because we took two cars to church that day, which we never did. In pure joy and excitement, I found the Easter Bunny, run up to him, gave him a big hug, and then it happened. I looked down and saw my dad's shoes. I yelled, you are not the Easter Bunny. This is my dad in there. My mom seemed slightly mortified for the other kids as I revealed who the Easter Bunny was. This Easter story tends to always be brought up around Easter time when the family is together. We always laugh how my dad dressed up as the Easter Bunny and how he was caught due to the fact that his feet coverings were too small to cover his tennis shoes. Oops. (laughs) Poor Sarah. (laughs) It's not exactly what you're expecting when you're on an Easter egg hunt. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. I guess got to make sure the the costume fits. But... uh, (laughs) It's great that the family brings it up. It sounds like a really, you know, great memory. And those Mm. are some of the memories that are funny, too, or great, too, when you get the family together and there's a good laugh. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just one of the joyous things about holidays in general. And since Easter is about resurrection and new life and joy, it's just great to have those kind of moments. All fits together. And I suppose that that's true of, like, the retelling, you know, 
holidays in general. We yeah. we love forming, you know, memories and retelling them over and over and over. And there's just something as human beings created in God's image of telling the story. And, you know, as we're looking at the Easter story as, you know, told in the Gospels, there's good news to share over and over. And uh, Jim Lesh has a story here for us about the work in Grebo and how they translated. All right, so we'll take it away to Liberia. In Mark 16, 6, the text tells us that the young man told the women, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And just that little phrase, he has risen, is a passive construction. And it doesn't really say who raised Jesus. And in the Northern Grable language, if you just say he is risen, it means uh, it really comes out he got up, <laughs> like getting up in the morning. So in Northern Grable, the Bible translation actually reads, God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He is not here. And that, too, is very good news. The communication of the gospel is so important, and this is one of the things we discover over and over again in Bible translation, is the story being told and retold, as you mentioned. And with each successive language that the Bible is translated into, you know, on one hand, the Christian message is incarnational and inherently translational from from the beginning, you could even say essentially translatable, like we say <laughs> around here. Uh, but on the other hand, every time a new language is encountered and a different worldview is encountered, it's like turning the facet of a jewel just a little bit and getting a, a little different view of things. And so here, uh, the way the Grebo language works, it helps to emphasize that the one that does this raising is God. Uh, and he's vindicated Jesus and said that this is indeed uh, enough. What Jesus has done has paved the way for reconciliation between God and man. Right. I do appreciate that analogy of that there is a new facet to discover and how important it is, too, for us. Why is it that Jesus was raised from the dead? God raised him from the dead. That new life and that power only comes from God. Yeah, absolutely. So our good friend Chris Pluger, who's a great storyteller, if you remember him from Christmas, he talked to us about Easter. And what he's going to share here is the experience of Easter in rural Africa. And I think as many missionaries as I've talked to, and even my own experience living in a rural African setting, this is so similar. It's astonishing how around the continent, this is kind of the way things work. So Chris did a great job of kind of describing what Easter looks like in the rural African Christian Lutheran context. So we're going to hear from Chris about his experience of Easter in Zambia. The way I normally start talking about this is to ask the hypothetical question of how your church celebrates Easter. Okay, so that's the one thing that, that you kind of think of. And normally the way we think about that is that, well, sure, the congregation comes together on Easter morning and maybe there's a, a sunrise service and then you definitely have to eat some breakfast and then everybody has this big Easter festival service and that's super cool. And normally we we take it for granted that our pastor is going to be there, which he is, and that's nice because pastors are good. But how does that work in an African setting where uh, the pastor, for example, our pastor now has five different congregations that he serves, five different preaching stations that are spread out between an hour and two hour trip to each one of them on his motorbike. So imagine 
like Petauke town is like the, the hub of the wheel and then the, the spokes are his trips out to these congregations. So what do you do? How do you celebrate Easter when you have five different congregations that are so spread out that you can't possibly make it to all of them in one day? So the answer is, instead of the pastor going to the congregations, the congregation comes to the pastor. And so in Zambia, they have the Zambian Lutheran Church, um, they have a tradition of what they call a camp meeting. And it really is just kind of like a camp out for Easter. It's super cool. So the, the five different parishes, at some point, probably the year before, they've actually picked who's going to host the camp meeting next year. And so that congregation does all kinds of preparation. Normally it involves clearing some brush or you know cutting down a couple of trees to clear some space or um, you know making sure that there's no ant hills or snake dens or whatever in, in the in the yard of the church. It involves laying in a lot of firewood or charcoal or whatever for cooking so that the host congregation does a lot of preparation. Sometimes they even put up a privacy fence, which kind of helps people feel a little more comfortable and at home. But then it also is a windbreak because Easter is kind of like the beginning of the really chilly season in Zambia. Um, so the rains have stopped and it's starting to cool off. It's becoming winter and, and, and people feel very cold when they have to spend all night outside. So. The host congregation does this preparation and the other churches come to that predetermined host congregation. And that normally means walking. Sometimes they hire a, a minibus or some kind of a, a pickup truck that they can all ride in or whatever. But that means walking and that means walking with everything they need for about four or five days of camping. And so that means a big bag of mealy meal, maybe a couple of chickens several children, you know, washing powder or whatever, if they're going to do some laundry, um, cooking pots, if they're going to make all their enshima and stuff. So, so all these people are trekking through the bush to get to the congregation. Um, and then they have this camp meeting. So everybody gathers and I got to go one year. It was super cool. And I want to say people start arriving Wednesday night already of Holy Week because it's a, it's a kind of a three or four day gig, right? Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, then Holy Saturday and, and then Sunday morning is the big the big thing. Um, so people start showing up probably Wednesday night, but more more likely they're coming Thursday, late morning, early afternoon. People are arriving um, and they're bringing their their mats, you know, their straw mats that they sleep on and all of their stuff. And they're kind of setting up their little stations and they're greeting people that they haven't seen for a whole year, um, because this is oftentimes the only time that all of the congregations of that one pastor, which they call a parish, are able to get together. So they're greeting their old friends and the people who are on parish leadership and stuff are doing their thing. And it's just a super celebratory church gathering um, for the camp meeting. And the pastors love it because it's it's all the birds with one stone. And so Monday, Thursday, they can have a nice long service because nobody's got anything else to do. And so they can preach about the Lord's Supper and, and do teaching on the Lord's Supper as long as they want to. And they can have a breakout sessions on Thursday before church and they can, you know, women over here and men over here and young people over there. And, you know, they can do parish leadership council stuff and women's group stuff and everybody's together. And it's, it's something that you don't want to miss. And then so, so Friday, of course, same kind of deal. You've got teaching all day, opportunities for fellowship there's usually a, a soccer match or something and of course the food so everybody's cooking all this food and they're really enjoying sharing their meals with others and I don't know if they take turns and one parish cooks one day and one cooks the next and everybody goes through like a, 
a classic Midwestern church buffet, or if ever, it's kind of every man for themselves. I couldn't really tell. All I know is that I got a big plate of food every meal, and uh, people were really excited to to give me that. And of course, I was really excited to get it because I like food. And so, and they would bust it out too. It would be it would be chicken and beans and enshima and vegetables. Sometimes there'd even be like mandazi, like bun donut things in the morning. Madondo they call them in in Nsenga. Um, so like a sweet roll kind of thing and fantastic. I, of course, took my own coffee supplies. So I made sure I sneaked some hot water from the ladies so I could have coffee every morning. Uh, but otherwise, it was really fun just to hang out with people, listen to them talk, watch them tell stories, watch the kids play soccer, uh, watch the ladies both cook and eat and wrangle their children. And then so Thursday, Friday, Saturday's a little more of a free day. But again, it's it's a time for meetings. It's a time for Bible study, whatever. And then Sunday is Easter. And so Sunday morning, you know, I, I, I went to sleep Saturday night. I'm sleeping in my tent. Sunday morning, man, it's like early. It's like before dawn. And I hear this singing. And of course, you know, Lutherans sing all the time. Um, African Lutherans sing all the time. And there had been choir practices throughout the throughout the weekend. But man, this is this was really cool singing. So early Sunday morning, here's this singing, and I hear this like shuffling noise, like something scuffing along. And so I come out of my tent, and and it's all the women of the whole parish are 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 marching through the camp meeting, around the church, and through the sleeping areas, and around the cooking fires. And if you want to think of a very dignified African conga line. That's kind of the impression that I got. So people are, they're doing this measured step and they're, they're dancing along as they sing and they're singing this song. And I figured out that what they were singing pretty much over and over and over was the verse from the gospels where early in the morning before it was light, um, you know, the women went to the tomb and the women went to the tomb and they went going and they went dancing and they went singing and and then they find they find that the, the stone has been rolled away and the tomb's empty and so this was the women preaching the easter gospel just at the very crack of dawn as it was starting to get light the women are reenacting this scene from scripture and it was such a beautiful thing just the joy in people's hearts and the joy that they were able to reenact to re-participate in that and to put themselves almost literally in the shoes of those women um, who went the very first Easter Sunday and found that the tomb was empty. And of course, what do these Nsenga women find at the end of their journey around the camp and, you know, a couple of laps and out into the bush and through the village, and then they come back. What do they find? They find a pastor who's ready to preach to them that the tomb is empty and that Jesus has risen and that their hope is not in vain and that any loved ones that they've lost in that previous year or years before will rise again, just like Mary and Martha were promised uh, when their brother Lazarus died, that, that that because Jesus lives, they will live too, and their loved ones will all live too. And that's just a beautiful Easter gospel preached to me in a way that I will never forget by a whole parish full of women uh, marching around the village early in the morning while it was still dark. Here come these women going to the tomb. So that was that was a pretty cool thing. And then the Easter festival service, you know, lasts until almost noon. And then there's one more meal and then everybody kind of heads home and ready to do it next year. So that was Easter in Zambia when you only have one pastor for every five churches. And I'm happy to be a part of that. Chris has quite the attention for detail. And I love that his 
his life was so heavily impacted by these cultural events that are surrounded by the Easter story. And I'm not going to lie, I would love to be there. That just sounds so amazing. What a celebration. Yeah, and just the beautiful illustration of the women. And it is it is a part of the Easter story. Uh, all the Gospels record it, that it is the women who first are out looking, the women who first hear the good news. And uh, it's one of the, the core features of Christianity that uh, it's inclusiveness, it's available uh, to all through those who believe in Jesus. That's a, an invitation open to everyone. And uh, no one's excluded by, by any of the things that people have used in the past to exclude, uh, such as social class or race or gender or anything. Right. And I think that in that culture, in the Nsenga culture, like, women going and being the first to deliver the news that was tied in with the Nsanga New Testament dedication right when the New Testament was dedicated the first ones to bring the New Testament books uh, to the people were the women uh, delivering the good news and so just that imagery is quite beautiful and uh, really empowering yeah and this this idea of reenacting uh, is a biblical idea yeah. um, you know maybe we don't embody it as much in the West but the retelling of these stories and the celebrations and really living it and embodying it is just part of how the majority of the world remembers and mm. celebrates and so it's really well illustrated in what happens in that camp in Zambia and throughout camps throughout Africa on Easter. Right. I think that Ishni Veit's next clip is similar in that sense of her perspective on Easter shifted as she served in Botswana among the Shigei people. And really her perspective on not only Easter, but who we are as uh, Easter people um, really shining through but enough of me leading up let's hear it from ishni so it's difficult for me to say how easter happens in botswana even though i lived there for 10 years from 2007 to 2017 because for the whole time that i was there i was working with the Wayei people in the um, shia language bible translation project and every year at easter for the week prior to, and then on Easter Sunday, they had their annual cultural festival where we from all over Botswana and even Namibia would come together and they would celebrate their culture and they would share news with one another and they would have Shia language learning lessons and practice writing. There was a lot of translation of hymns that took place during that event. And it was it's just an annual event where they would celebrate their language and their culture and their identity as Wayei people. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting to be there as a part of a religious work and to not have that. Uh, Easter is such a huge part of our faith. I mean, what is Christianity without resurrection? So it was interesting to to be there and to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ who were members of the Wayei community. You know, it was this festival was such an important part of the Wayei people celebrating who God had created them to be. And so the cultural festival is a big part of helping to reclaim that heritage language for the Wayei people, both now and for the future. 
And if you think about it, you know, Jesus didn't say that I came so that you might observe a particular series of holidays and attend church services on a prescribed set of days each year. He came to restore all things. He came to bring life to a place of death. He came to resurrect. He came to to be raised again from the dead and to bring that resurrection life to us, that we might have life and have it to the full. And so being a part of the Wuye Cultural Festival every year was, it was a great experience of resurrection that I got to be a part of, where I got to see the evidence of how God makes all things new and how God restores all things. What is Christianity without resurrection? Mm, yeah. So key. Yeah, absolutely. And that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. That's just absolutely powerful imagery of, you know, it's not just about attending church on Sunday. It's not just about observing holy days, but to live a new life in him. Right. And the the restoration of all things. You know, another one of the most powerful Easter images for me that really gets me emotionally every year on Easter is the singing of the hymn, Jesus Christ is Risen Today. It's uh, a lot of, most of the churches I've ever attended begin the Easter service with that and the way the organ swells and you, you know, Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah, but it's really, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and the reason why is that, you know, we're celebrating, we're remembering that again that day. But on the other hand, there is not a day that's gone by since that first Easter day where that statement isn't true for all of humanity. Jesus Christ is risen today, and that changes everything. And through the resurrection of Jesus, God says humanity can be made right with God, and the whole trajectory of the universe has changed. And now, in some sense, we participate in the ongoing recreation of the world through living, uh, living out our faith, being called to faith, being reconciled to God, walking in the forgiveness of sins, walking in his grace. And the Easter message is just pivotal, that the resurrection is the reason any of that happens. And without the resurrection, then there's none of it. Right. No, absolutely. There's just, there's so much good news in all of that, that we don't have to live in the past, but with our eyes focused on him, we can live in that newness and, and share that newness with our friends, our, our family, people that we haven't met yet. Just knowing that God is working in and through and his salvation is for all people. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, if you're having a joyous, wonderful time at this point in your life, you know, praise God. If you've been struggling with whatever it may be, the last year has been mm. a huge struggle, uh, just remembering that a year ago, most of us couldn't sit physically in churches mm-hmm. to celebrate the resurrection and how devastating that was in one way. But maybe you're struggling with with any number of things and the message of resurrection and, and what we hope that you remember is that the resurrection says that doesn't have the last word mm-hmm. and that God is renewing and working all things to himself. And that doesn't make your struggle any less real, but it does mean that your hope can be found in Christ. And uh, we just want you to remember that uh, that is the Easter message. Uh, nobody expected that they would come to that tomb on Easter Sunday and find a resurrected Christ. Mm-hmm. They thought it was over. And they thought they were done, and it's, I guess it's just going to be like this, and we don't know where our hope comes from and where have we invested our lives the last three years. And you may, be, you, know, you may feel that way too sometimes, but resurrection says there's a new story. That doesn't have the last word, and uh, 
you put your hope and faith in Christ and and share it with others, right? I yep. mean, that was the thing that the women from the tomb, like on their way back, they immediately shared that good news. So that your hope is in Christ and then sharing that good news. That's what resurrection is all about. Absolutely. So, uh, Emily, it's been great to spend this time reflecting on Easter with you, and uh, we hope you listeners have been blessed by this time. We wish you God's richest blessings. Happy Easter, and uh, may the joy of the resurrection be yours. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. Look for past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org podcast or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, or wherever you get your podcast content. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Andrew Olson and distributed by Sarah Lyons. Executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was designed by Caleb Rodewald. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now. <laughs>